You're listening to Comedy Central. There are two universal truths to living in America. One, every holiday is a mattress sale in disguise. And two, the wealthier you are, the easier it is to access life's necessities. And unfortunately, that's one big reason why black people are having a hard time getting the vaccine. Race and income really determine your access to resources. Um, and that's no different with uh, COVID. Studies show more than 30% of black adults don't have broadband internet, leaving many without information online about where and how to get vaccinated. If you don't have great high-speed internet, you don't have a computer, how can you jump in line to make an appointment? Black residents are significantly more likely than white residents to live more than a mile from the closest vaccination facility. Researchers also found black people are less likely than whites to live near a pharmacy, clinic, hospital, or health center that can admit administer COVID-19 vaccines. Over 50% of the Chicago black communities were so-called pharmacy deserts, low-income neighborhoods where pharmacies are far from the population and people don't have regular access to vehicles, compared with just 5% in white communities. San Francisco's pharmacy desert is zip code 94124. 92% of the population is black and Hispanic, and there's only one retail pharmacy for the more than 35,000 people who live there. Where do they go? if they don't have a personal or primary care physician? And the answer in many cases is there's nowhere to go. That's right. Many black neighborhoods don't even have a pharmacy. There are so few pharmacies that I'm surprised Republicans haven't made them voting locations. And this is especially messed up because in most white neighborhoods, there are pharmacies everywhere. I mean, everywhere. One time I went into a Walgreens that had a CVS inside of it and It's also crazy how many people still don't even have broadband. Before America makes vaccination appointments dependent on high-speed internet, uh, maybe they should sign everyone up for high-speed internet. And then a month later, once those people are done going through all the internet porn, then they can get around to making an appointment. So if you don't have the internet to schedule an appointment and you don't have a local pharmacy to administer the shot and you don't have transportation to a vaccine distribution center, what do you do? I mean, at that point, you might as well just make the vaccine yourself, which I tried, by the way, but I didn't have any mRNA in my house, so I just used barbecue sauce. I mean, it didn't work, but my blood tastes delicious. But for the black community, the barriers to getting vaccinated go way beyond a lack of resources. There's also a psychological barrier. Many black people are just reluctant to get the shot because the truth is they trust the medical community less than they trust the Golden Globes. And that suspicion may seem irrational to outsiders, but trust me, it is grounded in some very real history. There is, especially among the black community, a horrible history of mistreatment that has created distrust in doctors and medicine. African-Americans were experimented on, used essentially to justify the cruelty of slavery, creating science. This book from 1851, titled The Natural History of Human Species, echoed one of the most prevalent and dangerous beliefs in medicine at the time, that black people did not feel pain or anxiety. The federally sanctioned Tuskegee experiment sought to examine the long-term effects 
acts of syphilis by letting infected black men go untreated with no regard to the suffering it caused. There was also Henrietta Lacks, a mother of five who in 1951 sought treatment for a tumor. She passed away later that year. Scientists, without her consent or her family's knowledge, harvested her cells for medical research. The ties between race and medical treatment have lasted hundreds of years, and they're still alive in medicine today. The University of Virginia conducted a study of 200 white medical students in 2016. 40% thought black skin was thicker than white skin. The study also revealed that some doctors think black patients feel less pain. Uh, excuse me? Black people don't feel pain? Well, I guess you've never met a man named Michael Jordan. He's been crying about everything for 10 years. I mean, black people invented the blues. Nobody feels pain like black people, except for Adele. That woman has been through some shit. But this is why so many black people are suspicious of the medical community, because that community has betrayed them again and again and again. And you're not gonna trust people who have betrayed you that many times. Oh, unless you're Mike Pence. But unfortunately, this mistrust actually hurts black people because these vaccines are safe. Believe me on this, white people would never let Martha Stewart get one if it was dangerous. I mean, if something ever happened to her, they would have no idea how to match their centerpieces to their napkin holders. It would be chaos. And because this anti-vaccine sentiment is hurting the black community, black leaders are now stepping in to try and get the message out through an institution that the community does trust, the church. Black churches have long been a source of guidance and strength for the community it serves. It's the reason why black clergy across the country are teaming up with medical professionals and local officials to educate and encourage people to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci in a virtual face-to-face -face with Baltimore's faith and community leaders. We need your help. Part of a strategy aimed at getting a message in to the black community. On Friday, black pastors from several Boston churches received their first round of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. They're also here to educate and reassure the minority community the vaccines are safe. Reverend Liz Walker says she preaches about three things, truth, love, and lowering anxiety. Her focus now is spreading the truth about the vaccine. Half her congregation says they won't take it. Some believe God will save them. I always respond that, yes, you should put your trust in God, but remember, God uses doctors. That's right. God uses doctors. I mean, not all doctors. You know, Dr. Phil is the devil's work, but doctors who are actually doctors, well, they're doing the Lord's work. And props to people like Dr. Fauci for speaking to black churches and for not doing that thing that white people do when they visit a black church, where they start talking like Martin Luther King Jr. And I can tell you that we as a people will get to herd immunity. Hey man, you can just use your normal voice. Oh, thank God. Oh, my voice was killing me. And if you ask me, black church is the number one place to reach black people. I mean, the only other place that would make sense is a versus on Instagram and a black barbershop. But that one wouldn't work because then they just get sidetracked debating which vaccine is the greatest of all time. Nah, man, listen up. Polio is the greatest vaccine of all time. The hell it is, man. What about mumps? Mumps? Man, don't bring that mumps bullshit into my shop. Look, the point is, encouraging vaccination through the church is a great idea. It's actually something that The Daily Show wants to get behind, which is why we asked Pastor Roy to help us out. Thank y'all for logging on to the Lord this morning. 
it has come to my attention that some of y'all are looking at the COVID vaccine the way Jesus looked at Judas during the Last Supper. Suspicious. And look, I understand that the medical community has done unholy things to black people. But I'm here to tell you to put your trust in the trinity of Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson and Johnson. Because if you get the Rona, Jesus can't put his hands on you. He's social distancing. So I want you to let Jesus and that vaccine into your soul. Or at least into your left shoulder. Look, I don't think y'all hear me. I said, I want you to let Jesus and that vaccine into your soul. See, I need some help in here. Somebody get me my soldiers of the Lord. I want you to baptize yourself in the healing waters of the vaccine. Get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Push out the antichrist and let in the antibodies. Water in the wine. Vaccine in the mind. Water in the wine. Vaccine in the mind. I want you vaccine atheists to believe. Preach, brother. Do not be led astray by false Facebook prophets. Don't listen to your uncle Fred. He is not a doctor. Let the vaccination be your salvation from your isolation. Amen. Blessed are the immune, for they shall inherit the earth. From the movie theater, to the gym, all the way to the promised land of Red Lobster. Now I ain't gonna hold y'all up. I think we done made the point. Also, I gotta wrap this up. My little boy got a clarinet lesson over Zoom. I only paid for the free 40 minute version. Uh, praise Jesus. And God bless Dr. Fauci. And I'll see you next week for the booster shot. It's no secret that white people have had an easier time getting ahead in America. But one of the most important reasons for this might surprise you. For millions, owning a home remains at the heart of the American dream. But many black Americans have been left out. A new report says just 44% of black families own a home, compared to 74% for whites. Owning a home is the way that most people develop wealth. Uh, it is the uh, way that uh, for years and years and years, people have been able to pass something on to their, to their children or pay for their education. It's part of the reason the average white family has about 10 times the median wealth of a black family. The gap between white and black homeowners is greater now than it was since before the Fair Housing Act of 1968 when segregation was legal. That's right. The home ownership gap is worse for black people now than it was in segregation, which is insane. I never thought a black guy could be able to say, ah, Jim Crow, those were the good old days. But it makes sense when you realize how owning real estate helps you build wealth. And that wealth becomes generational because home ownership is one of the surest ways for families to pass down wealth. Not Beanie Baby's grandma, but they're still very cute. Save them for me. But also like, think about a portfolio. So. Black Americans have had less wealth than white Americans for decades. And a large part of that was because they couldn't build wealth by owning a home. But why? Why couldn't they own homes at the same rates as white Americans? Well, like most things dealing with racial inequality, it starts with the government. 
During the New Deal, the Homeowners Loan Corporation refinanced more than a million loans, nearly one out of every five mortgages in urban America. Now, the main problem with the Homeowners Loan Corporation was redlining. All of that wonderful government finance was only available to white people. The Homeowners Loan Corporation essentially deemed black people too risky to loan. The HOLC created residential security maps, where the term redlining comes from. Green meant best area, best people, aka businessmen. Blue meant good people like white-collar families. Yellow meant a declining area with working-class families. And red meant detrimental influences, most significantly Negroes. Saying that neighborhoods were hazardous to lend in because they were quote-unquote infiltrated by Negroes or threatened with Negro encroachment. Man, what a terrible era when the phrase infiltrated by Negroes could be a term used by the federal government when it should only be used for a dope-ass Migos album. I mean, seriously, do you know how f***ed up it is to describe those neighborhoods as infiltrated by Negroes. That's where black people lived. But they made it sound like black people were breaking and entering into their own houses. Oh shit, I'm in. Oh, it's my house. What am I doing? I live here. Although I won't lie, a part of me actually misses how upfront racism was back in the days. You didn't have to read between the lines, you know? Because if you're black now and you're trying to get a loan, they'll be like, well, we, we take a variety of factors into account in the loan approval process. Back then, if a black person walked into a bank, the manager was just like, look alive, fellas. We got a Negro encroaching white women in the vault. Come on, y'all. Now, by the late 1960s, courts ruled that redlining was illegal. But there are more subtle ways that black people are still kept from purchasing houses. For example, real estate agents who are just really trying to keep neighborhoods just white. Newsday with an undercover project to see whether real estate agents treated prospective tenants who are black any differently than prospective tenants who are white. And they did. A lot. The risks to African Americans in particular of suffering potential discrimination was about 50 50. I've had um, agents invoke burning crosses to dissuade me from buying a home in certain areas. This Newsday footage shows an agent handling one tester who is black and wants to see a house without a pre-qualification letter. I want to it. You can try another person, but I don't have the time to uh -huh. do that. But for the white buyer, also with no letter, what is your she shows that buyer, too. In other cases, Newsday records agents who appear to be steering minorities towards mixed communities. Every time I get a new listing in Brentwood or a new client, I get so excited because they're nice people. But with a white buyer, the same agent texting him about recent gang killings there. Whew. Those real estate agents got Caught. I would love to hear their feeble excuses afterwards. No, no, no. When I told one buyer the neighbors were nice people and the other one were gang killers, I meant they were nice gang killers, just jobs. And by the way, invoking burning crosses to try and stop a black person from moving into a neighborhood is not only racist, it's overkill. If you want to stop a black person from moving into a home, all you got to do is tell them that their next door neighbor adds raisins to their potato salad. They're out. And the truth is that even though redlining was outlawed as a matter of official policy, it sure looks like the banks are still doing it anyway.
Lenders deny mortgages for black applications at a rate 80 percent higher than that of white applicants. When we do get loans or at much higher interest rates or much worse conditions. If you're African-American making more than $100,000, you are more likely to be put into a subprime loan than if you were a white person making less than $35,000. Consequently, black and brown families were disproportionately impacted by the 2007-2010 housing crisis being nearly twice as likely as white families to lose their homes. After controlling for education, crime, walkability, homes in black neighborhoods are devalued by 23%, and accumulatively, that's about $156 billion in lost equity. One couple in Florida actually saw their appraisal increase by 40% after they removed any evidence that a black woman lived there. I took down um, the family pictures that we had in the home and, you know, basically any markers that there were African-Americans living in the house. Replacing them only with photos of her husband and his white family. When the second appraisal comes back, the value of their house shot up more than $100,000. Think about that. Her home appraisal went up $100,000, $100,000. Getting rid of her family photos did more for her home value than putting in a swimming pool. And again, can we all agree that this is racist? Yeah? Because just having pictures of black family members shouldn't drive down the value of a house. Just because you have pictures of black people? I mean, unless that black person is R. Kelly. And then it's like, I don't care that the basement is spacious. I know what was happening in there. So when it comes to racial discrimination in housing, America has come a long way and there's still a long way to go. But until the government gets serious about racial discrimination in mortgage lending and home selling, well, Leo Deblin has got you covered. Are you trying to sell your home but can't get a good price because you black? You're trying to get a new house, but these real estate agents are keeping you in the poor house. Well, pack that moving van, because Leo's got a plan. Introducing Leo Deblin's home whitification. I'll make your house look so white, they'll think Wes Anderson live in this bitch. I'll throw out all your family photos and replace them with watercolors of boats. I'll even throw in a diploma from Dartmouth. Art history, oof, you know that's white. Your library's gonna get whitified too, with David Sedaris, The Life of Pop, and of course, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Oh, that's white hot. And nothing says white like adding exposed brick. Man. That's rustic as hell. I'll even whitify your garage. Swap out that 2005 Honda Civic for a kayak, a pair of skis, and a volleyball net that only got used once. Woo! Looking like an L.L. Bean catalog in this bitch. And if you order now, I'll whitify your music collection. Goodbye, Megan the Stallion. Hello, Barbara the Streisand. Leo Devlin Home Whitification. It ain't but $85. You can get that from your mama. Exit 120 by the fairgrounds. Next to Foot Locker. Black women. We gave you Oprah, Beyonce, and all your favorite reaction memes. I've heard people say they like their women like they like their coffee. Strong, black, and hot enough to give you second-degree burns. Careful what you wish for, Darius. But the thing is, not all black women are strong. And even the ones that are strong aren't just that. 
We like doors open for us too, especially with someone with biceps like Michael B. Jordan, abs like Michael B. Jordan, hair like Michael B. Jordan. But unfortunately, the strong black woman stereotype is ingrained in American culture. It has a long history, about as old as Morgan Freeman and Betty White combined. Now you may be wondering, what is a strong black woman? It's the idea that black women are emotionally resilient, naturally selfless, too proud to ask for help, and can succeed with no resources. So basically every character played by Viola Davis. The irony is the strong black woman stereotype was started by black women to combat all the negative ones. See, in the aftermath of slavery, there were really only two stereotypes of black women. You were either some sex temptress Jezebel or a mammy who was just there to smother people in her booze. In response, black suffragette Mary Church Terrell coined the strong black woman motto, lifting as we climb. And I get what she was going for, but lift as we climb? Even bodybuilders don't do both at the same time. You can't expect a black woman to do more than Schwarzenegger in his prime. But over time, society shrank a black woman down to just her strength. And the popular conception now is that black women can bear and overcome any birth. We see it all over our culture. In movies like The Color Purple. Oh my life, I had to fight. And how can we forget Ghost? where Whoopi Goldberg literally has to let a white man use her body to rub foreheads with his fiance. Even when black women only have one line, it's strong as hell. Move, or you will be moved. Damn, at least let her say hello. But Dulce, what's wrong with being perceived as strong? Isn't it a good thing? No, not if black women destroy their mental and physical health trying to live up to it, and not if people think black women are so strong they make them do all the work on their own. Look at Stacey Abrams. She helped Democrats win Georgia, and before you knew it, she was being asked to fix vaccine distribution, the New York subway, and Kim and Kanye's marriage. The stereotype even reaches the doctor's office. Black women are less likely to be properly diagnosed, they have a much higher maternal mortality rate, and they're less likely to be believed about their symptoms and pain. So a black woman basically has to be a doctor to know everything that's going on with her body and then convince another doctor that that's what's happening. I was in a car accident. I have contusions, lacerations, and internal bleeding. Uh, get me a morphine drip and prep surgery stat. We'll get you a couple band-aids and you'll be fine. What? So the next time you see a black woman struggling at work or trying to lift a box, help her. Don't just stand there like you're about to see Wonder Woman in action. In fact, if you're in the New York area, I'm moving this week and I could use some help moving my couch because I'll be damned if I'm gonna pull my back lifting my own couch. Although black women have been the pioneers of so many movements that have changed the world, the erasure of black women from the story of these movements is something we've seen many times throughout American history. 
starting all the way back with the women's suffrage movements. African-American women, in particular, played a significant and sometimes overlooked role in the suffrage movement. There were African-American women fighting for suffrage from the beginning. You know Sojourner Truth in the time of the Civil War, Ida B. Wells Barnett, and Mary Church Terrell. They built a movement that would grow to half a million, but they would never find acceptance among mainstream suffragists. At that time, suffrage leaders were actively wooing Southern white members. To appease the Southerners, white suffragists found it expedient to abandon their black sisters. They minimized the presence of black women in that struggle. Elizabeth Cady Stanton seized control of suffrage history in this multi-volume book that still dominates the histories and essentially wrote black women out of that. That's right. Black suffragettes were literally written out of the history books by white women in the movement. And just look at their faces. It's like they had already seen the future and they were like, mm-hmm, I'm not gonna get credit for any of this, am I? Because the truth is, certain white feminist heroes were super problematic. I mean, people remember them like they were early versions of Wonder Woman, when in reality, they were more like the mom from Get Out. Now, you may not be surprised that these 1920s Karens were eager to accept black women's work, but give them none of the credit. But what may surprise you is that black men in the civil rights movement were also happy to do a similar thing. Most women who worked in the movement, who were the actual backbone of the civil rights mm -hmm. movement, were not really known. Media attention would always be drawn to the men of the movement as they're doing work, the Martin Luther Kings and others, but would not necessarily go to women like Ella Baker, who was a longtime activist who helped to nurture and birth the student movement. Diane Nash was the lead strategist behind the sit-ins in Nashville and the Freedom Riders. She played a critical role in organizing the Marches. Dorothy Hyde was the godmother of the civil rights movement, but because she was a woman, she was often off to the side, behind the podium, behind the scenes. She was a guiding force at the table when the Big Six planned the historic March on Washington in 1963, the lone woman at a table full of men. Yet despite all her efforts, Hyde could not convince them that a woman should be allowed to speak at the podium the day of the march. Come on, man. This is so messed up. Black women were the lifeblood of the civil rights movement and still they got cock-blocked by the dudes? I mean, the reverends got half a dozen microphones right there. You can't break one of those off of my girl, Dorothy? She was a critical part of the group. It's like if the Avengers were fighting Thanos, but they made Iron Man cheer from the stands. And this just shows you that black women don't just have to deal with racism from the world, but oftentimes they have to deal with the sexism within their own communities and the world at large. There's actually a term for it. Misogynoir, which means misogyny against black women. And it also sounds like the title of a really fancy French movie. I would love to promote you, but unfortunately I cannot because you are a black woman. So throughout history, black women have had their contributions to groundbreaking movements minimized or erased whether it's women's suffrage or civil rights. And the list goes on and on and on. The role of black women in starting and founding the women's movement and feminism altogether is still 
not in the history books. Many don't know this, but the Me Too movement was started by a black woman, Tarana Burke, 12 years ago to support victims and survivors of sexual violence. In the modern day calls for justice and equality, there's an echo of another social movement for LGBTQ plus rights, a movement sparked and sustained by black trans women. We never would have had a Stonewall if it wasn't for a black trans women saying enough due to police brutality and police misconduct. They fought back against the police that night, Uh, in particular Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, as well as Miss Major. In 2015, when they did the Stonewall movie, although we all knew that these black transgender women started that, uh, that, that riot that evening, they whitewashed it and they started it and replaced them with white queer characters as the leaders of that. Damn. They pulled a reverse Hamilton on the Stonewall movie. You know what we need to do? We need to add those women into the movie with CGI. Yeah, George Lucas has the technology and he owes us reparations for Jar Jar Binks. You know, when you think about it, the gay rights movement was basically like all cool slang on Twitter. You thought it came from white gay men, but they actually got it from a black woman. So the next time you march with Black Lives Matter or you exercise your right to vote or your dance moves go viral on TikTok, don't forget that black women were a major part of making that happen. And if you don't know, now you know. There are few groups who could stand to benefit from therapy more than black people. I mean, think about all the things black people have been through. Slavery, segregation, winter, all equally traumatic experiences. But unfortunately, even as therapy has become more mainstream, the black community has had a tough time getting the help that they need. It's hard enough to get mental health treatment in the U.S., but studies show that racial and ethnic minorities are significantly less likely to receive mental health treatment than whites. Black and Hispanic children are less likely to get mental health care than white kids. And studies show that irritability in the average white teenager is often labeled as depression. That same behavior is more likely to be seen as disruptive in black or Latino children. And doctors say that can lead to feelings of hopelessness at a very young age. Yes, one of the reasons many black people don't get the proper treatment is misdiagnosis. What is seen as depression in white people can be seen as disruptive behavior in black people. And this shouldn't be surprising, right? This kind of thing happens in medicine all the time, mixed diagnosis. It's like when a black person has a seizure, it's a medical emergency. But when a white person does it, it's called dancing. (laughs) But it turns out, it turns out, Even when black people are properly diagnosed with mental health issues, it can still be a challenge to find a therapist who's equipped to handle their needs. Making the crisis worse, not enough African-American therapists. Today, only 4% of psychologists are black. Kevin Durden says admitting he needed help was actually easier than finding it. He saw three different therapists, but felt that none of them understood the stress and emotions unique to black men. When Taraji P. Henson's own son, Marcel, was struggling, she found it nearly impossible to find him one. Trying to find a culturally competent therapist was like looking for a purple unicorn with a gold horn. Do they understand the cultural context from which I'm coming from? Do they understand the culture that I live in? That's right. It's extremely difficult for black people to find a black therapist. And it's been like this for a very, very long time. I mean, that's why Martin Luther King Jr. was always describing his dreams to huge crowds. You know, it's just like, I had another dream (laughs) that I'm being chased by bears in my underwear. Does anyone here know what that means? (laughs) 
Now, now you may think, you may think that a therapist's race shouldn't match at all. And that's true. But if you think about it, it does make sense. For many white therapists, no matter how good they are, it can be hard to understand the particular experiences of a black person. You know, just sitting there in a session, even if they're trying, it could be like, so you say people are following you around the store and you're invisible, but only to taxi drivers? Hmm, (laughs) paranoid delusions. So when it comes to mental health, there's a very real struggle for black people to access healthcare, get diagnosed correctly, and find a therapist who can relate to them. But if that wasn't bad enough, there's another major hurdle stopping black people from getting therapy, and it comes from the black community itself. We have a stigma in the black community when it comes to dealing with mental health. Black students say where they come from, it's shameful to talk about anxiety, depression, and trauma. It's not okay to have mental health issues or like, that's a white people thing. I've heard all the time, black men don't go to therapy, they go to the barbershop. I told my own mother that I was seeing a therapist and she said, you don't need to see a therapist. What you need to do is see a preacher. You got Jesus. Right. You don't need anything else, you know, just buck it up. Ah, yeah. That's a line every black person knows all too well. You don't need therapy, you need Jesus. (laughs) And my response is always, why can't we use both? Because church is a great place for community, but therapy is great for one-on-one mental health needs. I mean, I bet Jesus himself wish he could have gone to therapy at times, you know? (laughs) Just be like, so my best friend betrayed me and (laughs) I was born in a freaking barn. Plus my birthday always falls on Christmas, so I only get one set of presents, it's so shitty. So yes, part of the problem, part of the problem is that there's a major stigma in the black community around therapy. And honestly, I can understand why many black people would rather deal with problems at church. It's a familiar place for us, right? You trust the people there. And it's also a fun atmosphere. Like therapy doesn't seem fun. Church is is cool. I get it. In fact, that's what I was thinking. Maybe, maybe that's one way we could try and help solve this therapy crisis. We need to make therapy a little bit more like black church. And I think it would be pretty dope. I don't know, it's just really hard for me to let people in. And I feel like it's probably because every time I show affection, it just feels like weakness. Uh-huh. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear what Brother Jabuki just said right here? Brother Jabuki said that he can't show affection because it feels like weakness. But before we can understand what hurt us, you gotta understand who hurt us. Who hurt your brother, Jabuki? Oh, wow, wow. I, I would probably say my, my father. Because he was really emotionally distant, but then so was his father, which is probably where he got it from. The sins of the father. <laughs> passed down from generation to generation. And what will break this cycle other than a reflective analysis of the ego's hold on your psyche? I need to self-actualize. You need to what? Self-actualize? Self-actualize! Self-actualize. Self-actualize! 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 He's gonna empower himself! Overcome his demons! Deal with his forgotten memories! Repression! Confront his dysfunctional avoidance of intimacy! He didn't go to prom! He didn't go to prom! He didn't go to prom! Well, uh, we're out of time. We can uh, pick this up next week. Right. Thank you so much. I've just been going through a lot, and it was really helpful to talk to you. Sorry. Uh, It should actually be covered. I have Blue Cross. 
Son, the only cross in my network is Jesus. But while these companies are posting messages of support for the black community, many black people who work in these companies are asking them to put their money where their mouth is. Big name corporations sharing messages of solidarity, but many are calling on them to practice what they preach. Employees at places like Estee Lauder and Adidas speaking out against a lack of diversity and equality in their workplaces, despite public messages of support from the company's CEOs. In a video, Nike said, don't pretend there's not a problem in America. Critics point out that all of Nike's executives are white. You cannot say Black Lives Matter publicly when you don't show us Black Lives Matter within your own homes and within your organizations. Yeah, that's right. If you are just some random person who has 10 followers on Twitter and you tweet Black Lives Matter, maybe that's the best you can do. But if you're a major corporation that hires thousands of people, you can actually show that Black Lives Matter in a material way that goes beyond your social media feed. On their own, corporate tweets are useless. No one's gonna stop being racist because SpaghettiOs told them to. Like, it's not enough to just be Black Lives Matter in the tweets. You gotta be Black Lives Matter in the streets. Hell, you gotta be Black Lives Matter in the sheets. Okay, maybe I didn't think that last one through, but you know what I mean. But the question is, why are African-Americans so underrepresented in the American workforce? Well, let's find out in our brand new segment, This Black American Life. Why aren't more African-Americans hired in American companies? Is it because they're lazy? Is it because they're uneducated? Or is it because offices are just way too cold? Well, despite what your racist uncle might post on Facebook, the truth is, for many black Americans, getting a job is almost impossible. And it's because their blackness stops them from even getting in the door. Blacks are the last hired and the first fired. White males are hired based on potential. Blacks are hired based on demonstrated accomplishments. Going back a quarter century, statistically speaking, very little has changed for black applicants. Whites receive, on average, 36% more callbacks than African-Americans and 24% more callbacks than Latinos. Thousands of made-up resumes were mailed to employers, identical except for the names, half black-sounding, half white. The results? Black-sounding names were 50% less likely to get follow-up calls. Wow. Racism never takes a day off. If you have a black-sounding name on your resume, you're 50% less likely to get called in for the interview. Imagine if America had the same policy when picking a president. That would've screwed things up. It says Barack Hussein Obama. Okay, next, next, next. What we got here? John Edwards. Now this guy sounds like he's got it. And that's the thing I wish more people understood. Black people are asking for equality, not charity. They're not asking people to hire black people just because they're black. They're asking companies to stop not hiring black people just because they're black. Because even with the exact same qualifications and a resume that's exactly the same, the only thing that blocks people is having a black sounding name. I mean, why would anyone even want a workplace with no black people in it? You need at least one person who knows how to dance at the office party. And also, what if zombies show up? You want them to kill you first? So, it's enough of a challenge getting your black foot in the door of corporate America. And if you're lucky enough to find your way into the office, good luck finding the ladder. 
Only 3.2% of executives and senior leaders in the U.S. are African-American. There are only four black CEOs in the Fortune 500, only four, and no black women. There are too few opportunities uh, for African-Americans to rise to the top. Uh, to have the opportunity to serve in leadership positions. There's a promotion gap. At every level going up, it becomes less and less diverse, more white. When I don't see those that have been in the company for X amount of years not hold certain titles, there places a doubt in my mind. Representative Al Green asking a pointed question to major bank CEOs. If you believe that your likely successor will be a woman or a person of color, would you kindly extend a hand into the air? Okay, that was just awkward. I mean, from the way those bank CEOs reacted, that congressman might as well have asked them to raise their hands if they'd ever seen Mike Pence eating a flaming hot Cheeto. Not a single one of those banks thinks it's even possible that a person of color will run the company. That says a lot. I mean, if you ask me, Every bank should be run by a black woman. Yeah, because banks are out here losing trillions of dollars, credit default swaps, mortgage scams, and then after they screw up, average people lose their homes. Meanwhile, black women are out in these streets every day figuring out how to make a dollar stretch into 10. I'll tell you right now, if my grandmother ran a major bank, she would have been the one bailing America out. Oh no, the economy crashed. Oh baby, let me see, I've got two trillion here. Hold on, ooh, there you go. You bring back my change. Now, if you're one of the few black people who have made it into corporate America, congratulations. Your reward is working every day with some people who have no idea how to act around you. Microaggression describes indirect or subtle discrimination. And if you're on the receiving end, it can be as hurtful as anything overt. White people will come to me and say, you speak so well. <laughs> and then, right, you speak so well, or you're very articulate. In my own personal experience, like, you don't sound black. Like, what does sound black and sound white really mean? You're not like the others and stuff like that. And you think about it because it's like, you're not like the others. So, well, what are the others? The assumption is always going to lead in that I'm, I know less. My manager turns to me and says, well, isn't your hair so big because all of your intelligence is in there? And physically grabbed my hair. Yeah, every day, black people have to navigate a workplace filled with people who don't even realize that they're doing something offensive. You're so intelligent, it must be in your hair. This is what you get from living in a segregated society. Instead of knowing black people and black culture, you've got white folks interacting with black people like they're making contact with E.T. Hello, my friend. Do your people shake hands? Nah, it's a coronavirus. And it's because millions of white Americans don't have the first clue of how to interact with their black coworkers or just even be normal around them that black people in corporate America have to spend an inordinate amount of time making white people feel comfortable. For those of us who have been in corporate America, we have to be able to exist and not only exist, but to really thrive in two totally different cultures. This idea of double consciousness. Our blackness isn't accepted in a lot of spaces that are um, critical for our success. Intelligence is often linked to whiteness, so black people are often encouraged in professional settings to use a quote-unquote white voice, AKA code switch. I turn it on, I have to be my best, 
unauthentic self in order for me to relate to my white peers. And I have to make sure that I can talk about subjects that relate to your lifestyle that have absolutely nothing to do with mine. I speak two languages. I speak English <laughs> and I speak white. Because a, a lot of what we do are the things to make white people feel more comfortable around oh. us. Yeah. So many people take for granted that black people in the office are not just focusing on their job. They're focusing on not being perceived as threatening or disruptive or too black. And so you try your best to blend in with the whiteness that's around you. Like, that's not something that white people ever have to worry about. I mean, white kids don't even code switch when they talk to their parents. What up, dude? Yeah, I'm crushing it on Call of Duty. Yeah, okay, hold on, my mom's calling me. Yo, dude, what up? Yeah, bro, I told you, I'll crush my homework when I'm done. All right, I'll talk to you later, mom, bye. So. To corporate America, if you really believe in rooting out systemic racism and supporting black lives, then I say to you, examine your own actions within your companies before history leaves you behind. Or as I would put it, if I wasn't in the office, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 